Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, how amazing is the world that you've created for us to live in. Lord, we have all these different perspectives and interesting things that we run into, and all of it is from you. And, and the way it fits together or doesn't fit together sometimes is, is so much a part of what we ended up doing to your world that you made for us. How awesome and great you must be in comparison to how insignificant we are. And we are so undeserving of your kindness and your love. Your love is beyond all the heavens, Lord. And we sing of that. It amazes us because we are so undeserving. We are overcome by your love for us, even to sending your Son to come and die in our place. Heavenly Father, how incredible, how amazing to overcome our sin, the sin and failure that weigh us down, that pull us back, the millstone that is tied around our necks. And we forget to look to you. We keep trying to solve things in our own power. But you are always there protecting us, covering us. Lord, how amazing you are. Come down this morning, Lord, and give us wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah here and to understand them and to listen and to heed the words of Isaiah. Give us that discernment, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Bill opened up chapter 42 of Isaiah, and so we're going to finish off chapter 42, and then we're going to proceed through the opening of chapter 43. And there, there's a reason I wanted to, to start 43 to open up, and, and that will become apparent when, when you see the end of 42. The end of 42 sort of leaves you hanging just a little bit. And by opening 43 after that, we end up in a, in a good place to understand where Isaiah is going. Um, something about uh, all of this, all through this section, this is, this is either a song or poetry. I, I think it's a song that Isaiah is singing, and uh, we don't have the music for it. We don't know how this, um, this works and what it sounds like. And I imagine that we won't know that until we get to see Jesus. And then at that point, we, we may be able to know what the song is. But right at this moment, we don't know. And... Um, so we're going to finish off chapter 42, verses 10 to 25, and then we're going to open chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. And Isaiah here is singing a new song, a new song to the Lord. And he sings to how awesome God is, but he also sings of Israel's failure 
to see and hear the Lord. And finally, on the opening of chapter 43, Isaiah sings of the Lord being Israel's only Savior, that this is the only way that we can be saved is through God and how great our God is. This passage has parallels in a few Old Testament passages. Um, and there are places in the New Testament as well. Um, the one that we had as our related verse, which is David dancing before the ark. And how Saul's daughter took exception to the way dance. David was dancing before the ark, that this was somehow embarrassing to, to him. It was degrading to his position as king of, of Israel. And David's response was he didn't care how it made him look, that it was most important that he dance joyfully before God. And that was what was most important to him. So there's the song of Zechariah in the New Testament, Luke 1, 68 to 79. I'm not going to read that passage, but you should go look it up. So Luke 1, 68 to 79. That's a long chapter, by the way, 79 verses. Wow. <laughs> and then um, there's the song of Isaiah as sung by Jesus. I want you to imagine that. I mean, if Jesus does this, we should be definitely be doing it, right? And this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he goes to the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll. And he rolls the scroll, and by the way, these scrolls, you know, they're not broken out in verses the way ours are. So if I tell you that it's this verse, and, and by the way, um, this is Luke 4, 18 and 19. Luke 4, 18 and 19. And I'm going to read you 18 and 19. This is a, a short excerpt out of the middle of this. Um, but um, <clears throat> this, is, this is, actually, I'm not going to read it to you. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, you might think of this passage as the beginning of the middle piece of a great concert that we're going to look at. And this is, this is the great crescendo of sound and importance that's coming here. And here in chapter 40, Isaiah bursts out in song to comfort the people of God and to sing of God's word, which stands forever. Isaiah is singing of the greatness of God. And this is an amazing, an amazing story, an amazing chapter. This reminds me of a just the crazy things that you run into. Um, last night, I was looking at my news feed on my phone, and it, it knows I'm interested in certain things, and it flags certain things. And the Reformation is one of those things. If there's something that comes up about the, the Reformation, I get that, okay? So it, it turns out that there was a I don't know if any of you saw this. There was an Italian master painter. He goes by the, the name of the town he's from, Caravigia, and, um, which is a small town. And this guy lived between 1571 and 1610. He died at the age of 38. 
And um, we don't know how he died, by the way. Um, we do know that at that time, uh, he was living between Sicily and Corsica and Sardinia. And the reason that he was doing that was he was fleeing a death sentence, actually, in Italy. And so he was trying to stay away from his own country, which was in northern Italy. And um, he had done paintings for the Pope, actually. And so 1500s, this is after the Reformation. And it turns out that the Catholic Church was having a counter-Reformation to try and attack pe uh, attract people from the Reformation to come back into the Catholic Church. So this guy was a painter, um, and, and he did these very dramatic uh, paintings, which, high, you know, very high contrast, bright, bright light to very, very dark. And... Um, there are not many of his paintings that survive. The ones, most of the ones that we have are, are ones that exist in churches that he had done. But someone was at an auction and there was an unknown painting that was being sold and they bought the painting for $1,800. And it turns out it's one of these guys' paintings. And it's, be, it's up for auction at Sotheby's and the opening bid for this painting is $100 million. <laughs> right? But it, it, it was, <laughs> it, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, how does stuff like that happen? How can people not know? But you, you don't know. <laughs> All right, counter-reformation. Yeah, no, I don't think that'll be any of us. <laughs> so verse 10, we're in Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands, and their inhabitants. So you have to imagine that the Israelites, when they were redeemed by God from Egypt, so Moses burst out in song before all in praise of God. The song of Moses is in Exodus 15, 1 through 18. Short excerpt out of that, verses 17 and 18. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. So you can imagine that Isaiah is doing much the same thing. Isaiah is calling to the people that are coming into the coastlands. From, they are bringing in all the good news, and the good news that they bring is Jesus. And the reason that they're coming back, they're coming back to Israel to go to be on God's mountain with all the others. And so they're coming in through the coastlands. From all the end of the earth, wherever God's people can be found, they shall return via the ports along the coastlands to come to God's mountain. Isaiah goes on, verse 11. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. 
the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. So Kedar was a tribe in what is now modern Saudi Arabia. And the name Kedar, by the way, Kedar was one of Ishmael's sons. He's a grandson of Abraham. And this tribe exists in what is now modern Saudi Arabia. It's regarded here as a distant land by Isaiah, although Kedar, trade with Kedar was entirely probable by the Israelites. The other place that's mentioned here, Selah, is another name for Edom. Edom is not that far from Israel. Um, it's perhaps 30 miles. And it's just beyond the plains of the Dead Sea to the southeast. And it's where the mountains rise up there. And these mountains, of course, are very rocky. And Selah also means rock. And that's the name of this place. Edom is also referred to as Selah. And so these people are also shouting from the top of the mountains. Verse 12. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Again, the calling out of God's people from everywhere, raising their voices of praise to give glory to God, just as we did this morning. And that's what Isaiah is calling them to do. Isaiah shifts slightly in verse 13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, and shows himself mighty against his foes. The Lord is our strong shield here. He is protecting his people. God fights for us, and God is incredibly powerful and mighty. Verse 14. For a long time I have held my peace, I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor, and I will gasp and pant. So this is a new verse, a new direction that Isaiah is taking us. And the word that the Hebrews use here for cry is not the normal one that is used for labor. It is not a, a, a cry of pain. This is a cry of determination. It's, it's not a cry of anguish. And it, that's what this particular Hebrew word signifies. And God continues, verse 15. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all the vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools lay waste to mountains and hills. So this is obviously a sign of great devastation. Turning rivers into islands. Now keep in mind that rivers are water that is surrounded by land. And that islands are land surrounded by water. And God is reversing all of these. He's reversing all of it of what we know. 
Continuing on to verse 16, Isaiah goes in a different direction again. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So here in verse 16, God has the ability to lead the blind. And this is actually a metaphor for all those who do not understand or are ignorant. And God will give them a way they do not know in paths they do not know. God will give understanding for those who are willing to look and see and those who are willing to listen and hear. But for those who resist, what God is trying to teach, they shall remain blind and deaf. God gives that understanding. And the difficulties will be smoothed over, the rough places into level ground. God does these things, and he does not forsake his people. Verses 17 and 18. They are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf and look, you blind that you may see. We've seen this theme over and over in Isaiah, that those who follow after false gods, idols, are lost. They attempt to find man-made ways to come before God. However, all who are lost who go that way, following after carved idols and metal images and icons. They cannot see and they cannot hear. I read things like this and I think about all the icons that exist in the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and all its different branches. If you've ever been to one of those churches, you, you know what I'm talking about. You walk in there are all these incredible images that they've created. And they spend a lot of time praying to those images. And, and they, I think they've forgotten who God really is. I think about these verses when I, when I see those things. All those who follow after false gods are lost. They attempt to find man-made ways to come before God. And all are lost who go that way, following after carved carved metal images and icons. Verses 19 and 20. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Israel is blind and deaf. They do not see, and they do not hear God. God calls out to them. God stands before them, but they choose not to hear or to see. 
verse 21. And here in verse 21, by the way, all of a sudden, this immediately shouted out Jesus to me. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. How do I see Jesus here? How God's law made it necessary for Jesus to come. And that all that Jesus did to fulfill the needs of God's perfect law. That was why Jesus had to come. To fulfill all the things that the law demanded. And that Jesus' perfect willing and complete sacrifice would result in the payment of the debts required by God's law. And so all of God's people would be redeemed by Jesus because of his love for us. And Jesus makes all of it perfect and Jesus makes all of it glorious. And there's this moment where Jesus always talks about, I came to fulfill the law. And how does Jesus do that? Jesus dies to fulfill the law. The law demands that. And that should have been us. But Jesus puts himself there instead. In verse 22. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. The lost are everywhere waiting to be told of Jesus. They wait enslaved to sin. They live in bondage. They live in chains. But their chains can be broken. Indeed, their chains are already broken by the love of a man who died on a cross for all of us. All they have to do is accept the free gift that God is offering. Verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this and attend and listen for the time to come? Who will go? Will we go when called like Isaiah did, like Jesus did? Verse 24. Isaiah shifts slightly differently once again. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk? and whose law they would not obey? Stop and think about all this that we've been talking about happening to Israel in Isaiah's time. The Assyrians come, the Babylonians come, and carry off Israel. Who made all of history to work out the way it does? It can only be one. It is the Lord God. He is the one. The Lord is the one who brought Pharaoh against Moses 
And here, Sennacherib and the Assyrians and the Babylonians against Hezekiah and Isaiah. And later, the Romans and the Sanhedrin. God designs all of history to work out the way it does. And the way it works out is perfect because God makes it so. Verse 25. So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. God brought on the hardships of the Assyrian siege and the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. And still we do not understand what God is saying. It all points to his purposes. But we fail to see or to listen. And that's the end of 42. We continue on to chapter 43, verse 1. This section is titled, Israel's Only Savior. And I'm only giving you the opening part of it. We'll cover the rest of this next week when we finish up chapter 43. Another very long, long chapter. Israel's Only Savior, verse 1, 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Did you catch it right there? Right there. This is one of those but God moments. Those are the words that resound throughout the Bible. And when we see those words, it is especially true that we need to see and read and listen and understand what God does and why God does it. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, but God. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. When it seems that all is lost in this world, in this universe, remember that God is still with us. God is still with his people. And even though your body may suffer and eventually will die, God is still with you. And God will protect the part of you that matters. Verse 3. How does God know this? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. God is there for his people. God is the rock. 
God is the Holy One of Israel, the Savior of his people. All the others are not. And none of those places are salvation. Verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. And God says we are precious before him here. God honors us. Stop and think about that. God honors us. God does not explain why. There is no explanation for why, except God has decided to save us. We did not earn his love, but God gives it freely. He has chosen us. We are his people. Through the blood and the body of his son who paid our penalty, we cannot boast of anything in ourselves. We are completely unworthy. But God loves us all the same. And we can boast of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, for rescuing us. Verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. God assures us to not fear. God will bring all of his people in from the east and the west. We will be gathered to give praise and honor and glory to God and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit on his mountain. In verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring in my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And from the north and from the south, all of God's people will be gathered from the ends of the earth, everywhere. And verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God knows who all of us are. He knows our struggles and trials. All who were called by God, all who were created by God to be his people, all who were made for God. And he will bring us all together in the end. And there at verse 7, by the way, that's the end of a verse in the song. And there's a break. And it was almost exactly in the perfect place. Actually, it must be in the perfect place because it was there. This ends our passage today. What does Isaiah say? That God redeems in the end. God's people do not have an easy life in this world. But God's promise stands in the end. Do you hear that in what Isaiah is saying? Can you see that in what God is doing in each of our lives? Can you see the imprint of Jesus there in the background, waiting above all to save all of God's people in Isaiah's words? What God has planned is greater than what anything we can imagine. Are we seeing and hearing God anew calling to us every day? 
actually with the coolness in the weather I've been having a pretty good time at night and and finally I get up in the morning and and I don't feel all miserable it's nice and cool I like that <laughs> Isaiah is singing here a song of redemption and I knew we were going to do that, that last song that Colleen sang that we just did. And that was what I've been hearing in my head when I get up in the mornings all week long. I was looking forward to that one. I love it. Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world. And I've been listening a little bit. <laughs> Not as much as I should but a little bit. We become more Christ-like by looking to Jesus. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us all. And how often I keep trying to solve the problem myself. I think about what happened to Isaiah and to the people of Israel the chaos and the tumult in their world and the faith that God gave to Isaiah and how Isaiah displays his hold to the anchor and how that serves God's righteousness. We will all get to witness his greatness and God's splendor on that day, the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, how incredible you are. Your plan played out before us that we can see here in the Bible how everything worked exactly the way you meant for it to work. That your son would come down and live a perfect life to be the example of how we are to live. Lord, your, your plan of redemption is so perfect. Do not allow us to smooth out the rock. Jesus, you die in our place to redeem us and save us. Lord Jesus, you are so amazing, your love for us. We have been unfaithful. We keep trying to save ourselves. We look to Egypt, to the world. You want us to hear Isaiah's words. You cover us in the palm of your hand. You continue to lovingly guide our feet. Heavenly Father, we ask you to hide Isaiah's words down in our heart that we would know and understand. And everywhere here we see Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We bless you and we honor you. And we praise your name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.